We have a text of scripture this morning to begin. That would be 1 Corinthians 127. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. A few years ago, we gave a series of sermons on the gospel of Jesus, and it was about six in number, and this morning we'd like to go back to, to that series and bring a message on just what is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was A.D. 12, just 12 years after the birth of Christ. Was this the time that that 12-year-old boy first realized that he was the Lamb? That day when he spoke in the temple with the theologians of the day and they realized that he was someone very special, did he know that he was the Lamb that one day would be slain? His mother had taught him to read the scriptures, especially Psalms and Isaiah, but also all the writings of Moses. He knew all the descriptions of the lamb and the goat offerings of the children of Israel during their wilderness wanderings in Canaan. Just how old was the boy when he first knew that he was born to be slain? Let us go to that carpenter shop this morning and stand there with the carpenter in his late teens and early 20s. By now he certainly knew his mission and his fate. He had read about himself in the books of Isaiah, Psalms, and Deuteronomy. The cross of Christ is an exhaustless theme. We could study it for a lifetime and never exhaust its meaning. A preacher could preach a thousand sermons on the cross and barely scratch the surface of the subject. And so he was born so that he could die on a cross outside the wall of Jerusalem. All of us were represented there, the curious passerby, the hardened Roman soldier, Nicodemus the Pharisee, the other Pharisees who taunted him. John the son of thunder was there. Mary from Magdala, she had to be there. Jesus' mother was there. The thieves beside him, they were there and they couldn't leave. We were all represented there. The curious passerby on the road leading out of Jerusalem. Today this is the curious person who just takes a peek at the cross but does not linger for the gaze that would lead to salvation. The hardened Roman soldiers who were there, most of them said, well, this is just another day at work. Except for the one who, when he witnessed Jesus' words from the cross, proclaimed, truly, this was the Son of God. Today this would be the converted agnostic, Nicodemus the Pharisee, who had been thinking about those amazing words said to him at that midnight months earlier, you must be born again. Nicodemus now realized, revealed he was born again by being there, and after Jesus' birth risked his own life and reputation by asking for and receiving the body of his Lord Today, this would be the person who was converted from self-righteous religion to a religion of Jesus only. 
and Jesus forever. John, the son of thunder with that wild temper, but now subdued as he watched the amazing spectacle in front of him. He was the only disciple brave enough to be at the foot of the cross. The others had all fled in fear. Then there was those Pharisees taunting him to come down from the cross, saying, If you be the Son of God, come down, and then we will believe in you. One day they, they will indeed see him coming in the clouds of heaven. Then they will know that they have made a horrible mistake. For the scriptures say that those who were participating in his death on the cross will see him coming at the second coming. Then we see Mary from Magdala, whose earthly life Jesus saved, who was there to be with him because she could not stand to be without him. In the process, her eternal life was also guaranteed. Then we see Jesus' mother probably weeping uncontrollably. Then we see the thief beside him, born again to salvation. The other thief on the other side, at his death, he went into everlasting darkness. Yes, we are all represented there at the foot of the cross, the curious passerby, just taking a look but not interested in a relationship with Jesus. The two Pharisees, one born again, the other one spewing hate. The hardened Roman soldier bursting forth with truly, this was the Son of God. The disciple who was not afraid to stand with his Lord. Mary, a great sinner, saved by a greater Savior. The two thieves, one guaranteed for eternal life, the other forever lost. So now we come to the crucifixion. Let us see it for what it really was. In the Roman Empire, crucifixion was reserved for the lowest of the low. Roman citizens were not even crucified except for a deserting soldier. It was re left for a penalty of slaves. How did this former carpenter, traveling preacher, and teacher who ran afoul of the law become the most famous death in all of history? Jesus was certainly scourged before he went to the cross. This punishment was so severe that some prisoners died before they even got to the cross. This was a long strap with nine pieces of metal attached to the end, according to historians, and the prisoner was beaten on the back, causing intense agony. After this, the prisoner was typically nailed through the wrists and the feet, situated on the cross so that the person had to sit on a sharp spike of wood for a seat. This unnatural position of the bodies caused intense agony with each movement. So hanging in the hot sun with raging thirst, every moment was pain beyond description. Usually it did not take long for the prisoner to die. That was your Savior and mine. What an astonishing way for a religion to start, founded on a man on the cross. The amazing story of this cross has spawned more artist pictures, more books, and more scripture, and more music than any other story in the history of our world. It was the empty cross and the resurrection of our Lord that separated old Judaism from the new Christianity. It spread in the Roman Empire after Jesus' birth in spite of all odds, and now to all countries on the then-known world. The Romans regarded the cross with loathing. They knew that Christian religion could not work. After all, their leader ended up on a cross. This was the lowest of the low. The leader died. 
This was a Jewish offshoot, very unsavory to the Romans. The Jews were not popular at that time. The Jews mutilated their bodies with circumcision. A faith starting in Judea with a man from Nazareth, this was just not tenable. The fact that the central figure of the religion had been put to death on the cross after some claimed he was king, well, that made it even more impossible. It was no less attractive to the Greeks who were in that world the civilized ones who sought after wisdom, truth, and beauty. Here came these followers of Jesus claiming that God was in Jesus, reconciling the world to himself. What did that mean? In other words, God was on that cross. This couldn't be. God could not die, they thought. It was disgusting to the Greeks to hear that the mangled, crucified Jew was the origin of this new religion. And as far as the Jews were concerned, it was the ultimate insult. The cross and the man who died there could not be the Messiah. They were expecting the Messiah to lead them out from under the Roman dominion. Furthermore, every good Jew knew that a man who hung on a cross was under the curse of God. So the Jews said, how could he be other than an imposter? For you see, he died on a cross. Among the Romans, Greeks, and Jews, to think of a man dying for his family or his friend, well, that was a possibility. But to die for one's enemy, that was impossible. But then the truth began to come out. The curse he bore was our curse, not his curse. This was proven by his resurrection of the dead. So the empty cross became a place of blessing instead of a place of just horror. From his birth, his very name Jesus meant Yahweh saves. The truth began to spread like wildfire and eventually captured the Roman Empire. Many influential Greeks also became Christians. His crucifixion was so special because of who was on that cross. Christians have always believed that God the Father was in Jesus, reconciling the world unto himself on that cross, as the scriptures tell us. And Paul noted in 2 Corinthians 5.18, he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Let us go through the Bible and ask various Bible writers, just what is this gospel? David, what do you say the gospel is? David penned these words, For as the heavens is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, as far as he removed our transgressions from us, for he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Psalms 103. David, is there anything else for us? Oh yes, David answers. Mercy and truth are meant together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. He was referring to the cross. This occurred only one time in history, and that was at the cross where Jesus died. Psalms 85. David, in answering, brings us to the cross. Isaiah, what do you have to tell us about the gospel? Isaiah wrote, I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. From Isaiah 42. I am the Lord and beside me there is no Savior. Isaiah 43. 
There it is again. Isaiah brings us to the gospel. The Savior died on a tree and was resurrected to go to the throne room of heaven to intercede for us there. Well, let's ask Jeremiah. Jeremiah, what do you say about the gospel? Jeremiah pens these words. It is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassion fails not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness from Lamentations 3, written by Jeremiah. There it is again, the gospel. God turns down no sinner who comes to him and asks for forgiveness. His compassion and faithfulness is new every morning. No wonder the gospel is so wonderful. We come to Matthew. Matthew, what do you remember about the gospel? You spent three years with Jesus. What did Jesus say? And Matthew answers, I remember so many things, but two stand out. Sitting on a mountainside, Jesus was talking to the people. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Matthew 5. Then also, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. There it is, Matthew. There's the gospel. The righteousness of Jesus is the gospel. If we hunger for it and search for it, we will find it. If we seek for, first of all, above all earthly things, the gospel will be ours. Mark, you are a young man. What is the gospel? Mark answers the recorded words as follows. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Well, Mark, there it is. You've said well. There's the gospel in action. Dr. Luke, what do you say? What is the gospel? The Jesus, and Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken from her. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. From Luke 10 and 12. Well, John, what do you say? You were that young teenage boy when you first met this traveling preacher. John writes that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. From John 3. Paul, what do you say to the Romans? What is the gospel? Oh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. There it is, Paul. You've said it well. Let us ask the people of Corinth, what is the gospel? One day they got a letter from Paul. It says the following, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. But we preach Christ crucified. There it is. The gospel is the cross and the man on the cross and the salvation by none other. 
let us ask the people of the church of Galatia. Paul wrote a letter one day to them. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified, unto me and I unto the world. From Galatians 6. There it is again, the gospel is the cross, and the man on the cross. Well, Paul, what about the church of Ephesus? For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that's not of yourself. It is the gift of God, from Ephesians 1. There it is, the gospel is a gift. In our travels, we come to the church at Philippi, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. There it is again, the gospel is peace in our hearts and our minds. Jesus said it, my peace I give unto you. We come to the church at Colossae, where Paul tells the congregation that the gospel, what the gospel accomplishes. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth. From Galatians 3, the gospel drives us to seek Jesus. Well, Timothy, you were a young man, just like Mark. What did Paul tell you that the gospel was? For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Everyone that nameth the cross of Christ departs from iniquity. The Lord knows those who have the gospel. Paul, what did you say to the Hebrews about the gospel? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned the glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Paul, you have said it so plainly and so simply. The gospel is Jesus dying for the world of sinners so that they might have your eternal kingdom. John, what do you say? You wrote the last book of the Bible. What do you say to us about earth's, in earth's last hour? And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every kindred, tongue, and people from Revelation. My friends, the gospel is serious business for the inhabitants of this earth. It is life or death, eternity or outer darkness. Once we accept the gospel, fear and quaking are gone. We only have peace and happiness. As David said, great peace have they which love thy law, Psalms 119. We obtain that peace by understanding and accepting the gospel of Jesus. John, what more did Jesus have to say to us? Now he quotes Jesus' words. I counsel to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou may be clothed, and have the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. From Revelation 3. That we have the gold of the gospel rich in heaven's treasures. That we have white raiment of Christ's righteousness. That we have the eye salve of the Holy Spirit. 
so that we can see the gospel. And they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. Revelation 22. We today are at the cross with these two men known as thieves. We are either with the one on the left or the one on the right. For you see, once you have been confronted with the gospel, you can never be the same again. Once you have seen the gospel of Jesus, there's no fence sitting. Jesus said, either you're with me or you're against me. The scriptures were written over a period of 1,500 years by men, most of whom did not even know each other. Yet we find a harmony in the Bible story from beginning to end. John, you had the privilege of writing the last book of the Bible. John, Jesus was speaking to us through you. You were the pen, but Jesus was the author of that book. After all the 66 books of the Bible, after all the thousands of thoughts and words, what was the final thought that Jesus gave to us, John? What, what was it, John? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Revelation twenty-two twenty-one. There it is again, the gospel of Jesus, grace and mercy, mercy and goodness and peace. He offers his grace to every one of us. Is all we have to do is reach out and take it. The following verse is something you've heard before, but I think it's appropriate to repeat it here at this time. Centuries ago, a great Christian wrote these words. Man's maker was made man, that the Lord of the stars might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might be hungry, that the fountain would thirst, that the light would sleep in the tomb, that the way be tired from the journey, that the truth might be accused by false witnesses, that the teacher be beaten with whips, that the vine be crowned with thorns, that the foundation be hung on a tree, that strength might be made weak, that he who heals might be wounded, that life might die. Jesus did die, but he rose again on that resurrection morning, and he conquered death so that we can have the assurance of salvation. Amen. Eternal Lord and Savior, we're thankful this morning for the words of Scripture that we've heard. May it bless our souls, bless our minds, and may we go forth from here to tell others about the good news of the gospel. We ask us in Jesus' holy name. Amen.